0: Starting in verse number one down through verse number six. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to, to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. We can relate to that today this morning, can we not? And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, ask your blessing upon the message today. Lord, I pray that you control what I say and how I say it. Lord, I pray that it would change us. Lord, help us to see those events that occurred 2,000 years ago. Lord, the importance of the resurrection. Lord, to see what it is that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that your word would be clear. Lord, that there would be nothing that I would do that would hinder it. But Lord, please bless and work. Lord, I pray that there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing. That even this morning they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Lord, I love you, and I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. This day represents certainly the most important day, really, in the history of the world and, of course, to Christianity. The resurrection of the day, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the greatest historic event it is, uh, in the world is this day. It is the reason why our faith is not in vain. It is the reason, as I mentioned this morning, that we are right in our faith. It is the reason why we go to church on Sunday. It is the Lord's day. It is our hope, and it is the hope of the world. Even though today it's so far removed from it, in a nation that is so now far removed from God, they fail to see the importance of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is this day so important? Well, there was a man 2,000 years ago that lived on this earth that was claiming to be the Son of God. Made himself equal with God letting others know that He was, in fact, the Creator God Himself. He did works that no one really had ever seen before in the history of the world. Understand, when miracles occur in the Bible, even in the Old Testament, we read them together inside of a year's time frame or inside of two or three months, and we think they happened just all the time. That's not the case at all. But when Christ... Came. When Christ was on the earth, when Jesus was on the earth, it was unlike any, anything anyone had ever seen before. Here was a man again claiming to be the Son of God, God Himself. He would enter into a village, heal all the sick that were present. He gave the blind their sight. The deaf could hear. Those with crippled limbs who had never walked could all of a sudden walk. Three different occasions He raised people from the dead. On top of all this, when he spoke, it was unlike any other man. When he spoke, the Bible describes it in, in words that are uh, that are almost its hard to put into words. It uses the phrase, uh, as one having authority. What it means by that is that when he spoke, he spoke from a position of power or as if he is the author. He spoke with such wisdom and truth. There was no ability to argue with him. Even Pilate, I'm going to look more at him when we get into the message today. As I was studying this for this message this week. Uh, It's not in my message, but he actually uh, wrote a document that still exists today about his meeting with Christ back to the Roman government. Basically what it says, he's never met anybody like that. So you have this man claiming to be the son of God who is forgiving sins, healing people, controlling nature, raising the dead, speaking unlike any other man. But there remains one crucial issue. Death. Death. Now we know the very purpose that he came to this earth was to die. to give His life for many. If the cross doesn't happen, we have no means of salvation. You see, what happened when Christ went to that cross 2,000 years ago, this was prophesied going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Within hours of man falling into sin, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God began uh, began to let man know that this day would come. See, this would be the day that God put into place this perfect plan that he knew that his creation, mankind, had plunged himself into sin, thus separating him from God. People like to think that God can just say, it's okay, it's all right. no, I'm not going to worry about that. That's not possible. God is holy and he is just. We're talking about about a being, if you will that is so powerful, so perfect, that all he had to do was speak it, and this universe was in existence. And then when his creation sinned against him, it created an immediate separation that had the potential to last for eternity. But he came up with a means of reconciling reconciling us back to himself. The only way possible. And what he did is incredible. He himself became a man. 2,000 years ago. Proving himself to be the Son of God. Proving himself to be the Creator. How he would speak it. Just speak it. And the raging waves of the sea would be calm in an instant. The whole reason he came... Was so that he can go to that cross, because in that moment in time, in that historic event, what was taking place, that was God Almighty the Father, placing upon his Son all of our transgressions. What he was doing was this: Justice had to be satisfied. Sin was a reality. God just can't say, "I'm just not going to think about it." Nope. It had to be dealt with. There were consequences. Justice had to be met. Because God is just. And that's exactly how you want Him. And so in order to save us from a judgment that we would face, God Himself took that judgment upon Himself. See, when He went to that cross, what God said would work, would satisfy eternal justice, would be He would allow His Son to come to the earth as a man and live the perfect life. And then... He would go to that cross, and God would place upon him and make it as if he was the transgressor, as if he was the guilty one, and he would judge him in your place. That's why the suffering was so brutal. Tonight we'll be looking at the cross. It was brutal what he went through, but it was designed that way by God. Christ knew what he was going to go through. This had to satisfy justice. But if he stays dead, understand this. All his claims were not true. None of them. If he stays dead, he might have been a good teacher. Might have been a trickster. But to verify and to complete what was necessary for salvation, he must defeat death. And rise again from the dead. He worked on the earth for those three years. Proving that He was in fact the Messiah. Proving in fact that He was the Son of God. Showing this to be true. Going to the cross to be that substitutionary death. To take your place in judgment. It all began that last week of his life. He knew it was coming. Let me jump ahead. I was going to go to that, so let me jump ahead a little bit. Let's jump to that Wednesday night. Tonight, by the way, if you'll come tonight, I will be going over why I believe strongly to be true, without a doubt, that he was crucified on a Thursday. Wednesday night is a Passover. They're having the Passover meal, which they could partake after that evening. Christ does it that evening with his disciples. And then they head out to the garden. All the disciples know there's just something different about Jesus in this moment. He goes apart and he's praying. Such fervency. He sweats drops of blood. They're all witnessing this. It's late at night. He's tired. It's been a long week, really. This whole week has been a long week for him. The the other two days he'd been preaching in the temple. And then here comes the guards to arrest him. He's arrested. Taken in for this mock trial. He's first taken to Annas, which was a, just a, 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 an illegally attempt and at an arraignment. Then to Caiaphas. Caiaphas, we know from the timing of the Bible, gives us he had been there about 3 a.m., then about 5 a.m., they attempt again to try and legitimize the trial that they just had, this, this facade of a trial in the middle of the night, which was illegal. At 6 a.m., he'd be brought before Pilate. The Bible tells it at the conclusion of that fourth watch. That ends at 6 a.m., which lines up perfectly with how they did court then, because they would do court as soon as, sun, as, soon as the sun rise hit, they could have court. This time of the year in Jerusalem, the sun rises about 6.20 to 6.30 in the morning. So Christ is before Pilate somewhere between 6 a.m. and 6.30 that morning. Pilate, on three occasions, which we'll look at later, declares Jesus not guilty. The two people I mentioned Earlier, Caiaphas and Annas, that, those were the high priests of Israel at that time. There was, uh, Caiaphas was the other one's son-in-law. The Bible even has one verse in Luke, refers to both of them as a the high priest. Pilate is the Roman governor of Judea. Christ is brought before him, and then we're going to be looking at that more here in just a minute. He would, he would seek for his release. But he found himself in a position where the chief priest had some major leverage over him. Sometimes we tend to think that Pilate was just weak giving into the crowd. But there's reasons why he had to give in to the chief priest on that day. So Pilate turned him over to be crucified. By Thursday afternoon the Son of God, would be dead. He would finally cry out, It is finished. He would be buried in a tomb not far away. The world of disciples, in their mind, has just collapsed. They still don't understand what's taking place, but they're about to. It's about to become clear why the day that Christ began his ministry, it began with the words, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. It's early Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they're heading to the tomb. Little do they realize what they're getting ready to see. There had been an earthquake. The angel had moved the stone away. The angel, looking like lightning, sitting there on top of that stone. The Roman guards that were sent there to guard it, because they knew they were worried about a resurrection of the chief priests, they wanted that place guarded. They didn't want his body stolen. The disciples, the apostles, were all in disarray. They weren't about to do anything. They weren't organized to do anything that night. The man they had just given their, their life for the last three years, they just, they just watched him die on a cross. But the two Marys head there. There's an angel sitting there, the Bible described as, His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered unto the woman, Fear not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. What an honor to be this angel with the next words he's getting ready to speak. To be the one to proclaim it. He is not here, for He is risen as He said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. The only thing there now was an empty tomb. That's it. I mean, could you just imagine their emotions? What just transpired in this last few seconds? He's gone. He's not there. There's an angel there verifying and proclaiming the truth. And He says, go and tell the disciples. You can just imagine them running back, out of breath, trying to communicate, trying to—I mean, we're just, just—I believe—just shouting. He—he's alive. He's alive. He's dead. His body's not there. He's gone. We saw an angel. John and Peter taking off, sprinting to the tomb, going inside and seeing it's empty, with the napkin on his face folded. You've heard me preach on that subject before, why that napkin was folded. What that meant was, I'm coming again. It was a custom of the servant when he got up from the table, a custom, a custom of, of the master when he got up from the table, he would fold the napkin up if he wasn't finished. It meant, I'm returning. Christ is returning, and we're close to it. It is his resurrection that in fact proved that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. It is the fact that he defeated death and rose again from the dead that verifies the validity and the truth of Christianity. Truth is what it's all about. When we look back at the trial that had taken place, Pilate asked two of the most important questions any person could ever ask. There are two questions that you too must ask and get an answer for. We're going to read about those two questions. The first one that he asked was this. What is truth? The second question that he asked is, What then shall I do with Jesus? The answer to that question all depends on how you answer that first question. Let's take a look at this. Go over to the book of John. John chapter 18. This is when the trial is beginning. He's led from uh, Caiaphas's house unto Pilate. Then, verse twenty says, "Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas under the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover." Pilate then went unto them and said, "What accusation bring ye against this man?" They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Now, keep this in mind. There's almost mocking Pilate at this point. The truth is, they really don't have any charges. Even in their own trial, he's declared innocent. Their key witness, their star witness in all of this, has committed suicide. Because he was lying. He went and recanted and said, Listen, no, I can't do this. Throws the money back. And he goes and he kills himself. Did they care about that? No, no. You see, they're not actually looking for a trial. Only thing they want is an execution. That's all they want. They would, in in the other gospel, they do come up with, after they make that statement, Pilate wants charges, they give him three. Pilate will focus just on one of the three. One was he didn't pay taxes, which he did. One was he was perverting our nation. The third charge is what Pilate grabbed a hold of, and that's it. That was that he made himself a king. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. They want him dead. "...that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die, which would be the cross. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, "'Art thou the king of the Jews?' Jesus answered him, "'Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me?' Pilate answered "'Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done?' Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king? To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth Heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? When he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, Here is his judicial findings. I find in him no fault at all. Pilate himself declares him innocent. Now, he's going to go on from there and try and seek over and over again the release of Jesus Christ. But he came to this end to die. Matter of fact, what he does next, this isn't the next, what he does next almost worked. That was Barabbas. He said, We have a custom. I'm going to release unto you one of the prisoners. And he puts out Barabbas out there, knowing in his mind they're surely going to pick Christ. And he was right Barabbas was a vile, wicked murderer. He puts Barabbas' name out there, and but Pilate gets interrupted. That's a divine interruption right there. Because it's very possible the crowd then would have said, no, release unto us Christ, not Barabbas. But he gets interrupted. His wife comes on the scene. His wife says, listen... I I, I, I am troubled by this man. I've had dreams. You you need nothing to do with this man. While he's having a discussion with his wife, the chief priests are now dealing with the crowd. And they're convincing the crowd, no, 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 we want Barabbas. When Pilate gets his attention back on the matter, the the crowd wants Barabbas released. What shall I then do with Christ? Crucify him. Then he scourges him. I'm just just going to... You know, send him, which was wasn't even just a brutal, brutal whipping that would take place by Roman soldiers. Then once again, seeking to release him, hoping that would appease the chief priest, it didn't work. Finally, he just turns them over. Do what you will, and they let him out to be crucified. But remember, this is the reason he came to die, and he had to be declared innocent. By the way. Just like in the Old Testament, what they did in the Old Testament, oh, so much of it was a foreshadowing of what was taking place right before the chief priest's eyes. When once a year they would try and find that perfect male lamb without spot and without blemish, where the high priest would declare, this one's perfect, it'll work. Do you know what just happened before him? The son of God, the lamb of the world, was just Declared perfect. Again, Pilate sought for his release on several occasions. He knew Christ was innocent. But the chief priest threatened to go to Rome, and that certainly had leverage over Pilate. Pilate was the sixth Roman governor in Judea. Already, three times in the past, he's having a run-in with Rome and the chief priest, and he's lost. His job is on the line. It all started when he first became governor in Judea. To try and mock the very people that he was going to try and govern, he did something that no other governor did prior to him. As he traveled into Jerusalem on the flagpost, on the very top, he went ahead and put a bust of Caesar... Which he knew they would take as idolatry. And sure enough, when he marched in there, oh, the people threw a fit. They wanted it taken down. It became such an issue that Pilate and the chief priests and the leadership all went back to Rome. And then Pilate tried to set them all up, he met them all in a theater. Had them all in the theater, there was Roman soldiers, and he told them, you, uh, you dropped this now, They're not, I'm not taking them down, and if you don't do it, these Roman, soldiers, these Roman soldiers will massacre you right here. And the chief priest called his bluff. They said, go ahead and do it, we'll die right here. And then he backed down. He took them down. That wasn't his only run-in. There's another one, and Josephus writes about this run-in. With the, with, he had a, an aqueduct, aqueduct system that was built in Jerusalem that Pilate had built. Boy, he went into the temple treasury, stole money to fund it. That also led to rioting. It led to uh, many of the Jewish men being killed. And Caesar found out about that as well. Then Pilate. By the way, all this is of God because the Lord knew Christ came to die. He knew somehow he had to have the Son of God stand before the governor of the region, declared innocent and yet crucified. Incredible, isn't it? And so all these events are being orchestrated in the sovereignty of God to come to that moment, because that is the most important moment in human history. He had shields put on that also, with the images that were on that represented idolatry. And once again, the leaders threw a fit, had to go to Rome, and Caesar told Pilate, get rid of them. And there's no doubt by this time, Caesar had enough of Pilate. So now here he is, and the chief priests, when they want Christ crucified, and he knows this man's innocent. They let him know, um, you will do this, or we're going back to Caesar. They had leverage. Christ, in our text, told Pilate why he's here. He said, listen, I am not here to bring armies to overthrow. I'm not here to subdue nations with force. I'm here to show men truth. And boy, can truth conquer men and convert men. When he hears Christ's words, Pilate then asks that question. What is truth? Pilate responded to that. He wasn't looking for an answer. You can tell by the text. He just walked right out after he said it. He asked the question with cynicism. See, Pilate no longer believed that that you can actually know what is true. He no longer believed in what we call absolute truth. We would almost call him the very first postmodernist. One thing that the Lord God Almighty knew is that the devil would try and get this world to believe that truth is relative, that it's not absolute. He knows how destructive he can be in any culture in the world when that culture believes that truth is not absolute. Why Christ is coming to show, no, truth is absolute. To show men what life is all about, to show men they don't have to live groping in darkness in this evil world, trying to figure all this out. They can have understanding. They can see their true purpose of why they're here. There is great danger when you do not know truth or believe it. Or believe it's not possible to know truth. To see it as relative. Pilate's view of truth would lead to his own death. Pilate would have another run-ins with the Jews shortly after this. They would once again go to Caesar and Pilate would be removed from his position when he's removed from position he was back in Rome for a short time and then he went off to France 2 years from his removal he would take his own life he would commit suicide Eusebius writes of this quoting sources now the common source i grew up catholic there's a usually if you hear this words coming out of the catholic church this is traditional belief it's made up And that was that no, Pilate went back to Rome, converted him and his wife and lived happily ever after in France. When historical documents that talk about his life say, no, that never happened. The man committed suicide. Matter of fact, I'll read from you the actual account by Eusebius. He said, it's worthy of note that Pilate himself, who was governor in the time of our Savior, is reported to have fallen into such misfortunes under Caius, whose times we are recording, that he was forced to become his own murderer and executioner. And thus divine vengeance, as it seems, was not long in overtaking him. This is, this is stated by those Greek historians who have recorded the Olympiads, together with the respective events which have taken place in this period. You see, Pilate, even though he was in a position of power, authority, Respect. I mean you, you you would think from the world standard if there's anybody you wanted to be in Jerusalem, it's Pilate. He seemed to have it all. Yet just like Judas Iscariot, he would kill himself. Just like Judas was operating apart from truth, so was Pilate. Pilate would have thought life was about his position, his power. When he lost that, he felt humiliated and hopeless and despair set in. He was living his life apart from truth. His purpose in life was about worldly power, was about maybe fame or money or a position. All those things are vain and empty. I'm sure when he was selected to be governor of Judea, he thought, man, I've got it. I've arrived. I've made it. He'd be thrilled. Caesar himself has appointed me governor of one of his key districts. But it's in that position we see as he talks with Christ. He's realizing this is it. This is what it's about. He failed to see truth. He's seen the vanity of it all by the time he meets Christ. He failed to see life was all about God and glorifying Him. I mean, here's Pilate. He's looking at, he's talking to truth, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Pilate knew he was different than any other man he had ever talked with. There was something to this man. He wasn't begging, he wasn't pleading it was as if when Pilate talked with him as if he was the one in control and not Pilate. I mean, the way he held himself. How he spoke to, how he spoke to Pilate. Pilate never seen anything like this. I mean, that's why he's trying to get his release. This man is innocent. This man is innocent. Not only that, the thought had to occur to him. I mean, don't... Make no mistake, Pilate already knew who Jesus Christ was. Everybody in Palestine did. Here's how who the historian Josephus put it, who's not a Christian, the miracle worker standing before him. And now, he's telling him, my kingdom is not of this world. Our society has arrived at the same place, the same view of truth that Pilate had. Believing there is no absolute truth and it's destroying us. It's literally tearing our nation apart. Our society now sees truth as relative. In other words, you have your truth I have my truth, whatever works for you. And it's destroying us. In every culture in the history of the world, this has always led to the same end. It leads to confusion, hopelessness, despair. As man is trying to find meaning in life apart from truth. Because you don't have your own truth. Neither do I. There is absolute truth that never changes. People talk often today why suicide rates are high in different groups. The hot topic of our day right now, which is the epitome of the breakdown of our culture, is transgenderism. And they, they throw up there all the time. It's, it, look at the high suicide rate. Look at the high suicide rate. As if they're trying to place blame on those who are preaching and teaching. No, that's wrong. As if, we're try, as if that rate is, is, is related to that. It's not at all. It's related to people that are operating from truth at the very core of how they were created. They're trying to live in this life believing in relative truth. Believing the ultimate deception about who they are. You know, this is why we have the book of Ecclesiastes. As Solomon tried to find meaning in life apart from God, you can't do it. Pilate's view of truth led him to despair and to suicide. So we are witnessing right now, literally, the death of our culture. Because it left truth. What is changing in our nation has been the belief that devil has tried to get culture after culture after culture to believe that truth is relative. Violence is taking over. Suicides are rising. Addictions are controlling people. Again, without truth, a purpose in life becomes, whatever purpose people are living for becomes vanity, meaningless. Despair follows. Going back to Two, three hundred years. There's a very popular French philosopher, if you will, Voltaire. Voltaire would mock the Bible. He even proclaimed that soon, because he was big into this intellectualism, the the Renaissance time frame. You had the Renaissance taking place in one part of Europe. In the southern part, you had the the, uh, Reformation taking place in the northern part of Europe. He was part of the Renaissance, of man looking to himself apart from God. We got this. Voltaire was one of your first men to really mock God and mock the Bible who had, who had a voice. But here is the record of his death. And no, he didn't convert. This isn't one of those stories about somebody converting on their deathbed. But this is the story of what happened to him when he died. So this is a quote from the record of his death. And Voltaire felt a stroke. That he realized must terminate in death, he was overpowered with remorse. He had once sent for the priest and wanted to be reconciled with the church. There was no truth there either. His infidel flatters hastened to his chambers to prevent his recantation, but it was only to witness his suffering and their own. He cursed them to their faces. And as his distress was increased by their presence, he repeatedly and loudly exclaimed, Be gone! It is you that have brought me to my present condition. Leave me, I say. Be gone! What a wretched glory is this which you have produced to me. For two months he was tortured with such an agony, led him at times to gnash his teeth and rage against God and man. At other times... He would cry out and plead, O Christ, O Lord Jesus. Thus turning his face, he would cry out, I must die abandoned of God and of men. This was that bold man mocking God. Died in misery. He operated outside of truth. See, what, what, what our culture thinks is working for them right now. The day will come because it's not true. The day will come where they're going to see when it fails. See, multitudes of people are seeing that right now on their own. It, doesn't just, it, it One day will happen to the entire culture when it's just diminished and gone. But individuals, many individuals come across that well before the culture does. You know, those who have bought into the lie, and all of a sudden they get woken up at three in the morning, and they just feel such misery, such vanity about their life. Because it's apart from what is true. You see, the problem in our culture is not a gun problem. It's not a drug problem. It's not a Democrat problem. It's not a Republican problem. It's not a race problem. It's it's not a virus. It's a problem dealing with truth. Not knowing the answer to that question, what is truth? Man doesn't want it to be God. We want to be our own. Truth, by definition, by the way, is absolute. When a culture seeks to remove God and they themselves try and deem what is right and wrong, will always lead to destruction and it always has in the history of the world. This is in 1892, a decision by the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Listen to what they wrote. This was, this was the findings from a case that had been brought before the Supreme Court. It says Our laws and our institutions must, must necessarily be based upon and embody the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible that it should be otherwise. And in this sense, and to this extent, our civilization and our institutions are emphatically Christian. What they were saying was, with what they were dealing with at the time, they understood the importance of having an absolute authority to base it upon. That we just can't choose our own whims. That there's an absolute... That understand, if there is a God then there are absolutes. One comes with the other. You can't say, I believe in God, and then deny absolutes. If there is a God, there is absolutes. He is the one who determines it. That's just like right now, the confusion in our culture, and it's in, it just looks absurd even. That's in the beginning, he created male and female. That's it. That's it. There isn't 27 of them. There isn't 112 there's two but as long as our culture is no has left the basis of absolute there's going to be mass confusion and problems because now somehow man in our wicked sinful condition we're going to determine what's true and what's not <laughs> we are so corrupt and vile you're gonna leave that to because what we're gonna give into? We're not gonna give it into what's really true. We're gonna give into what benefits us. Because we're all corrupt. If there is a God, and there is, listen to me. Then there has to be absolute truth. If there's only been one person in the history of the world. It certainly wasn't Muhammad. It certainly wasn't Buddha. And we could list all the problems right there all day long. There's only been one person in the world that claimed to be the Son of God. That showed He was the Son of God by His actions and how He spoke. The one who went to the cross, defeated death, and rose again. Days before Actually, before he was arrested, within 48 hours before he was arrested, he would make the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. So one of me told Pilate what led to that question Pilate, I'm here because I'm true. This isn't fake. Pilate, you don't understand what you're messing with right now. My kingdom is not of this world. I'm not about the politics of this day. He had the Son of God right before him. And of course, when he hears that with his own, you can see the problems already in his life. He's frustrated in the moment because the chief priests have leverage on him. He's like, man, look what I've done. I've messed up over and over. I'm in this position now. What is truth? But he goes out knowing the man is innocent. Listen, here's my findings. That's judicial statement he made right there. He wasn't just talking to the chief priest. I find no fault at all. Pilate was facing truth, but he didn't see it. The question to you today is this. What are you going to do with truth? Are you going to follow the ways of this world? Which is clearly, if you would just step back objectively and just look at what's taking place. Look at the rise in violence, the rise in hatred. The rise in hatred the families being broken down, the vileness that is just everywhere. There is no way you could objectively say, we have progressed and we found truth. When there was a man who lived 2,000 years ago that never left that tiny area, and yet he changed the world. He is truth. Which leads to the second question, and I'll be done. This is just in conclusion now, the second point. I don't have time to preach it. Leads to the second question he asked. What shall I then do with Jesus? That's a question you have to ask yourself. What shall I then do with Jesus? Because you have a choice. You have a choice as to what you're going to do with Christ. Will you choose to ignore and refuse truth? Because it is obvious and it, and it is proven. By the way, his resurrection, many times I bring that up every year at the Easter service, the proofs of his resurrection. There's multitudes. Scene of over 500. The change in the disciples. The change in Paul. The writings of historians who were never converted. Not Christians. They didn't have a dog in the fight. Talking about this man raised from the dead. Will you choose to see him as truth and turn to him or ignore it? See, the truth is, you have sinned against the almighty creator. That's the truth. You have. The truth is, this is Hebrews nine twenty seven of the book of truth. It is the point of men once to die, but after this, the Judgment. The truth is, you will stand before Almighty God and He will judge you. That's truth. The truth is, you don't have your own own thing worked out before Him. It's not true. We know what's going to happen at that judgment day. The Creator told us. When He judges you, it's going to be based upon His law. You've broken it just like I have. He's not going to... Weigh your good works and your bad works. He's not going to look to see if you got dunked in the tank. He's going to open a book. One's going to be the book of life, which your name would not be in. He's got another book. It's going to be written in there every single time you've broken his law. You're not going to speak, by the way. He's all-knowing. You're not going to be able to give any mitigating circumstances. He knows why you did it, when you did it, every time you did it. Every time, it's all there. It's all recorded. See, that judgment is just for him to show you. Here's why this is happening. And then you're going to hear those words. Depart from me. And in Revelation 20 and 21, it's clear as a bell. Even though we don't like truth today, because we don't want any truth that's going to offend us. What is wrong with us? Well, seriously. Seriously. Just incredible. Think things through. 100% of the people found guilty in the day of judgment. 100% are cast into a lake of fire. This is, but God's not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. That's why God became a man to save you from that judgment. You see, because he took all your sin upon himself. All your sin. He took all your sin upon himself. Now get this. And he gives you his perfect life. Listen to this verse and I'm done. It says this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 teaches us what happened on that cross. It says, For he hath made him, God the Father hath made the Son, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That verse might sound complicated, but it's not. So here's that book with your name on it right here. Follow me. So this is every charge God has against you, and you're 100% guilty. There's no, there's no denying it. There, there's no slick lawyer going to get you off. You're done. It's over with. But over here, there's another book. On top of this one, though, is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ when God became a man, when he lived as a man. Underneath there is all of his... He's Perfect. There's not one sin here. He's the only one who's ever lived who could go to that judgment day as a man and the Father could say, you're innocent. I find no fault. But when he went to the cross, it says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. When I say that Christ died for you, what you can do is you can take Christ's name right here And remove it and place it over here. Remove your name and place it over here. If that takes place, look at that. Now underneath his name is all your transgressions. And you know what he did? He satisfied justice. He suffered in your place for you. But get this. Hell didn't hold him. He is God. He defeated death... And rose again the third day. And if your name's over here, what's underneath your name? Perfection. It looks as if you have never sinned, which is God's requirement. God loves you so much that He was willing to suffer your punishment so that He could save you from judgment. That's why that event is the most important event in the history of the world. With heads bowed and eyes closed.